0: Well, good morning, Brookside. Good morning. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining us on this holiday weekend. I hope that you're, uh, hope you're having a, a great weekend. Um, I want to mention uh, just a couple of things to you before we dive in this morning. Um, first of all, like many of you, um, our eyes have been glued to the news, um, just watching the, you know, the destruction in, in Southern Texas. I mean, just try to get your brain around it. You know, a hundred thousand people displaced, nearly three square miles of of destruction, and. It's, it's hard, isn't it, to even just imagine a catastrophe of, of, of this magnitude. So our hearts go out to those literally thousands and thousands of people who are, are suffering because of that. Um, if, you didn't, if you didn't know this, if you didn't receive um, Brookside's email on Friday, um, as a church we've adjusted and reallocated some of the things in our budget, and we've sent a $10,000 donation to Samaritan's Purse, to their uh, disaster relief fund, and um, yeah, it's... You know that's that's your generosity um, allowing us to respond, and and I tell you just a side note. Isn't it neat to see the church? You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's neat to see churches across the country rising up. If there's ever a time when we should be known um, for love and grace, um, it's it's now. And so anyway, it's it's really neat. Samaritan's Purse, Christian organization that we've done some things with in the past. Um, you're familiar with Operation Christmas Child. We've done some things with with that in the past, and. So yeah, they're on the ground right now where the, the needs are the greatest, and so it's, it's great to be, um, to be able to be a part of that. If you want to um, contribute beyond um, of what we've done individually, you sure can. Uh, go to our website. You can find out all the information about um, how you can funnel that. So I thought that what we would do now is if you would actually stand with me, and let's pray together, and let's just say, God, would you um, pour out your grace on a part of our country that's it's in a lot of need. So yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning, um, we just cry out to you for a part of our country that is really suffering. And um, Father, we pray this morning with really thousands and thousands of other Christians that are praying and asking you to help. And, and so, God, we petition you today and we just say, God, would you provide hope? <clears throat> God, would you provide healing? Um, God, we think of those who have lost loved ones through this. God, we pr- pray that you provide them comfort like only you can this morning. And then, Father, in the midst of all of this, like you can so often in the midst of a tragedy, Lord, we pray a big prayer, and we say, God, would thousands and thousands of people come to know you? Um, God, that's our prayer. More than anything else, God, we pray that people would find hope in Christ. And so, pray, Lord, we pray that you would, you would bring that to fruition, Lord. We love you, and uh, we commit those people in need to you now as a church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be see well, I wanted, to, um, I wanted to mention this to you. Uh, last week around here was a, a big weekend for us. It was a lot of fun. We had our group link event, and, you know, it was so fun. 168 people connected with a, a small group leader and now g- are getting connected in a small group. And, and we say a lot around here that life is better connected. And uh, we really believe that to be true. We believe because we see it time and time again in the lives of people. When you're able to be connected in a small group uh, it's just helpful to you on, on so many fronts. And so I want you to know if you're not connected, if you didn't have a chance last weekend to enter into that, just go onto our website. You can find out all the information about how you can get connected into a small group. And then just I want to also let you know tonight at 6 o'clock, our college uh, group is starting, and that's up in room 221. So we're excited about that. And then if you would say you're on a journey right now and you're searching for God, we've got a group just for you, um, created just for you. It's called Explore. And that's going to be starting soon, and you can also find out all the information um, about Explore on on our website. Well, this morning we are in part three of our series called, I Want to Believe But. And in this series, what we're doing is this. We're looking at some of the roadblocks that are common for Christians and that are common for people who aren't Christians. Um, Roadblocks that are legitimate. And because this is what we know, we want to be a place where it's okay to ask the hard questions. Because we know this. If you'll take the time to ask uh, the questions and you'll take the time then to give those questions a thoughtful and and an intellectual response, what it will do is this, it will give you knowledge that will allow you to build your faith. And our hope is that this series would take away some of the roadblocks and it would lead you to a place where you would have a a thriving faith. So that's our desire behind this series. So in the first week, what we did is this, we asked this question. In week number one, uh, we said this. We said, I want to believe, but isn't God just an angry God? Every time God thinks of me, doesn't he just have this displeasure on his heart and on his mind? There are people that that think that all the time. God's just displeased with me. That's his overriding emotion towards me. Week number two, we looked at this question then. I want to believe, but can I trust the Bible? Now, this is a critical question. I want to believe, but can I base my life on the teachings of this book? You have got to land the plane On that question. You have to. So critical. So Tim unpacked that last week and then next week Tim's gonna be looking at this question uh, with us. I want to believe, but is there really only one way to God? Is there really only one way? I mean there's lots of options out there. Is there truly only one way to God? And then the last week of this series we'll be looking, unpacking this question here. I want to believe, but why all the hypocrisy among Christians? Why is that? We see it in leaders all the time. Why all the hypocrisy among Christians? And more, 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 most importantly, what does Jesus say about that? What does Jesus say about all the hypocrisy among Christians, among even people of faith? Now this morning, though, we're going to answer this question, and it's a tough one. It's one that gets asked all the time. I want to believe, but how could a good God allow so much suffering? How could a good God allow so much suffering. I mean, Jeff, all the time in this church, we talk about hope and grace and how good God is, but how then could that God allow all of this? How does that happen? You know, when you're in ministry at really any level, whether you're on a serving team here at the church or out in the community or whether, you know, you're leading a small group or whatever, you you come across suffering all the time because you're face-to-face with people. Do ministry long enough and I can think of different places even just where I've sat with different ones of you in this auditorium and you've cried and I've cried and we've prayed together and we've pleaded uh, for God to change your circumstances because you've been in the midst of of suffering. You come up against the pain of people all the time. For as many times as we celebrate the joy and the new life and what God's doing in people's lives and how he took one person from this place and he made them new and, and now they're over here and we celebrate that and thank God we get to celebrate that all the time. But for as many times as we Get to celebrate those stories, there's all these other examples of people who are facing suffering. People who are saying things like this. A person asks the question, why cancer? Why me? Why now? Or this question, Lord, not my child. Lord, why not me? Lord, why couldn't this happen to me? Why does my child have to experience such loss? Lord, why couldn't I just step into that? It's hard enough to watch it. Lord, why can't you just let me experience that? Lord, why? Why my child? A child asks this question. Why did she take her life? Was it my fault? God, God where were you? God, why? You have a brother that men, battles a mental illness, changes it, plagues his life and your entire family's life for as long as you can remember. Why? Why, God? You've wanted to have kids for years, you're decent people, yet you look around and there's all sorts of crazy in the, crazies in the world that are plenty fertile. And you're asking this question, why? Why them and not me? It's the husband and, or the wife that asks this question, they say, Lord, why is there more pain than joy in our marriage? God, we have cried out to you for our marriage. It's a person with a disability that says, why do I have to bear this every single day? The person that's in bondage to a sin and they just say, ah, why me? Why this? It's the person that grieves the fact that they're not married. It's the person that cries out to God and they say, God, why is it that the father or the uncle that was supposed to protect me the most hurt me the most deeply? Why? Where were you? That's real, isn't it? That's a real question. God, Why God, where were you? Have you ever cried out to God and you prayed and you you were desperate for God? I mean, you were desperate for God. And the longer you prayed and the harder you prayed, the more that you felt like he was distant. He seemed absent. My prayer for you this morning is that we look at the Scriptures and we wouldn't answer all your questions. I can assure you that won't happen this morning. But I pray this. I pray that you'll get a window into the heart of God. I pray that you'll get a window into the heart of God and that the scriptures will shed some light on this God that we can know. You know, the timing of this message is remarkable. I remember seeing firsthand the destruction from the Hurricane Katrina in 2005. We took uh, youth teams down there back-to-back summers after that. And and I remember seeing it on the news, and that was one thing. But boy, I tell you what, it was a whole other thing when we showed up and, and we stood at the door of this home that hadn't been opened in two years. Imagine that. Still had water in the, you know, the coverage, all sorts of things. And there's elderly lady standing outside the house, she's so glad that there's a group here finally to unload her home to completely gut it. I mean, it was, the destruction was so massive. It was beyond what you could imagine. People are asking this question right now. They've been asking it though for centuries. Does God even exist in all of this? And the question behind all, oftentimes, the question of does God exist is this it's a bigger question, more deep question. Does God care? And the tragedy is this. Oftentimes the people will give up on God because they feel as though God has stopped caring for them. They'll stop caring about God because they feel like God has abandoned them because God has stopped caring for them. This morning when you think about suffering, I think it's, I think it's helpful to kind of break our suffering down into some categories. Now, We won't hit all of these, but I think these categories will hit most of them. First one is this. Here it is, number one, the category one of why we suffer sometimes. We suffer because we make bad choices. You thought this was going to be all about God, didn't you, right? Sometimes, isn't it true? We suffer because we make bad choices. When I think of my adult life, I think of some of the suffering that I've endured. It's because of the bad choices that I made. I mean, wouldn't it be nice, though, if God would step in and he would overcome the consequences of our stupidity, of our lack of judgment, of our lack of self-control? Wouldn't it be great if God would just jump in But he doesn't do that. In his goodness, he gives us freedom. He gives us the ability to choose, yet our freedom can sometimes lead us to our greatest source of pain. That's category number one. We suffer because of the bad choices we make. Category number two is this. We suffer because other people make bad choices. Now, when you're an adult, you often suffer because of the bad choices you make. But when you're a child... When you're a child, you often suffer because of the choices that others made for you or upon you. But what's tragic is this, is that when a child then who grows up in that, and many of us, all of us, probably to some degree, we have felt the, 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 the ramifications of the bad choices that other people made, but the tragedy is this, it's the person that continues to grow up and that becomes their identity, And those choices that others make, then that shapes their behavior for their entire lives. Category number three, I think you can relate to this one. Sometimes we we suffer for things in ways that are out of our control, completely out of our control, things that we didn't see coming, things that uh, you just kind of go, wow, I didn't expect that. I mean, who would have known that you're genetically predisposed to have cancer? Who would have known that? There's no one in southern Texas that did anything to evoke that storm. There's no one that, you know, that, 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 that said, hey, you know, let's, let's have a storm and wow, yeah, that storm, it's just for you. No, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the case. And we can understand this if we go clear back to Genesis chapter 1. Because we see this in Genesis chapter 1. We see that, that creation is coming together and, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's wonderfully orchestrated by God. I mean, think about this. When God created things, going clear back to Genesis 1, there was no Harvey. There was no Katrina. There there was no illness. There was no pain. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Genesis 2, God brings in Adam and Eve, and it's beautiful. I mean, they're enjoying it, but in the context of their enjoyment, God says, for this to continue, for this enjoyment to continue the way that I've created it to be, I give you a boundary. A boundary. To protect you, because I love you. I give you choice, because I love you. I you to have freedom. But in the context of that, they, like you and I, would have done the same thing. They revolt against God. And they say, our way is a better way. And from that moment on, their sin and your sin and my sin. From that moment in Genesis chapter 3 to this day, we feel the ripple effect of their sin. We feel the ripple effect of it. We see it in all sorts of areas of our lives, from our relationships to our earth, everything around us. Genesis chapter 3 puts it like this. It says, cursed is the ground. I mean, the ground that will fill with water. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. I mean, this is why in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul put it like this. He said creation, so think of this. The beautiful earth that God created in all of its perfection. Genesis 3 then, it becomes tainted by sin. That's what we just read. The Apostle Paul then in Romans 8 cries out and he says this, creation itself waits in eager expectation. Like creation alone is calling out, it's waiting for, an eager expectation for God's Son who will liberate it from its bondage of decay. You know, when we see category type three suffering, natural disasters, things like that, things that cause real brokenness, evidence of brokenness in our own lives, right? We can shake our fist at God. We can shake our fist at God. But know this, it began in Genesis chapter 3, and it will ripple forward for us. But what's amazing is this for the Christian. This is so amazing. God, and we're going to see this this morning, God steps into the brokenness. At the heart level. And he provides not only a way out for his creation, but he then provides a future hope that you and I look to and we long for. So when you and I see natural disaster, we should think this. We should think, oh, that is evidence of Genesis 3. That's evidence of sin. That's evidence of my sin. And then we should think this. All of creation should scream for Jesus Christ. We should call out to him for help. Category number four is this. Sometimes suffering comes because you do the right thing. Some of you, you lost your job because you did the right thing. You lost your job. You had to move your family because you acted with integrity. Some of you, you lost the girl because you did the right thing. Some of you, you lost the future dream because you wouldn't compromise, you wouldn't cut the corner, you stayed the course, you stayed true to God, and you suffered for it, or you still are. Get this? I mean, think about this. There are people on, in different parts of our world who have given their lives for the message of this book for Jesus Christ because they believe so deeply in the message of this book, but they're in places that are hostile towards the love of God, and they're losing their lives for this. They're suffering. For good. Know this, when you suffer for good, there is so much meaning behind it. Now here's the thing. If you and I don't interpret suffering through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of Scripture, we have to interpret suffering through some lens, right? We have to. We all have to look at suffering. We all have to come to grips with suffering somehow. That's why it is smart, it is wise of you to ask hard questions. It's wise. So real quick, let's look at some of the other options. Here it is, for the first one. For the atheist or for the naturalist, here's what suffering is like. Suffering is random, and it ultimately has no meaning. There is no God. So your suffering, it is completely random. It's just another accident. You suffer, I'm sorry that you suffer, but you just do. Maybe I will one day, maybe I won't. God can neither be blamed, nor can God be clung to in the midst of it, because there is no God. For the Buddhist, it's this way. For the Buddhist, suffering is greeted with detachment. The goal of Buddhism is this. It's to, to remove yourself from any objects that cause you attachment or desire or sadness to the point of enlightenment. So the idea is this. You remove yourself from things that hurt to the point that you no longer feel those things. So when your mom dies and you're grieving that, you try to move on. You just try to detach yourself from that. For the Hindu, this is how they deal with suffering. Suffering is a product of, of karma, consequences of previous actions. So the reason why you're suffering is because of some sin that you committed in a previous life. And you're, gonna just, that you're facing the consequences of that. For the Muslim, it's this. For the Muslim, suffering is a result of their personal sin. Now, there are different forms, obviously, of Islam, but the bottom line is... The bottom line is is this you are experiencing suffering because you have done something to dis, displease Allah and because you have you are directly suffering the consequences of that my question this morning what about Jesus you know we've, we've seen that from a Christian perspective from a biblical perspective that we live in a sin-tainted world, that you will feel the effect of your sin and I will feel the effect of my sin and we will also, we will feel the effect of the sin of others from Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to the person that wronged you this morning. That's the world, that's the world that we live in. Now what I want to do though now is this, I want to take you to John chapter 11 because I want you to see, I hope that you leave here today with this. I want you to see how does the, God, the Bible, how does Jesus Christ engage with your suffering? How does he look at it? I assure you, we will not answer all your questions this morning. But I hope that you'll leave here this morning with this important window into the heart of God. Where is the mind? Where is the heart of God when you, and you might be in the midst of more suffering right now than you've ever been in before or someone that you know. Where's the mind? Where's the heart of God in this? So John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. So he's suffering, right? He's going through a hard time. He's about to die actually. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, was now the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her tears. There's lots of Marys, so it's kind of saying, hey, this is the Mary I'm talking about. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. So they're sending word to Jesus and they're saying, hey, Lord, not just anybody is sick. Lord, we want you to know that the one that you love is sick. Now, John is, he's doing something here. He's giving us a very important setup. He wants his readers to know, this isn't just anybody. This is the one that the Lord loves. Lord, the one that you care about. Lord, the one that you hold dear. Lord, we want you to know, the one that's close to you, they're on their deathbed. They're, they're sick. Verse 4, then, it says this. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, no. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. What Jesus is doing here is this. He's saying that there is something bigger happening here. Now, you guys are focused on Lazarus, and I know he's sick, and I know he's actually going to die, and I know what I'm even going to do about that. But I want you to know, I want to point you to something bigger. I want to point you to a grander story beyond today, beyond next month, beyond the next decade. I want to point you to a bigger, more even more important picture. And then I love this. This is as though John reinforces... The motives of God in verse five, it says this. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Uh, Now, yeah, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is saying basically this. We want you to know, again, Jesus loved them. Because I believe that John was concerned about what he was about to write, because I think what he was about to write he thought would confuse you and make you question actually the character of God. And so then it says this in verse six. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, you can read that and think to yourself, that's not right, right? Because let me ask you the question. If you have somebody that you really love and you hear that they're sick and you know how severe it is, what do you do? Particularly, what do you do if you really care about them? Particularly, what do you do if you know you're the only one that can be with them and bring them what they truly need? What do you do? I know what you'd do. You'd go. You'd say, call, you know, call the airlines. We need a plane ticket. Hey, get in the car. We got to go. So and so is sick. I mean, imagine this. This is someone that Jesus truly cared about. Think of it this way it's like you get the call, your son, your daughter, they're in the ICU. You've got to come quickly. There's no time to waste. You don't just, you're not, you're not on the phone and you don't go, yeah, I, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. As soon as I finish this landscaping project, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, I know they're going to die. Okay, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm coming. But I, I got an appointment at the salon. You know how hard it is to get in there, you know? As soon as I get, what does Jesus do? It seems insensitive. Jesus waits two more days. Know this, when you care, isn't this true? You act with urgency, but Jesus doesn't go. Have you ever been angry with God because he didn't show up when you wanted him to? Have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever thought, God, if you just would have been here a couple seconds earlier, this wouldn't have happened. You could have spared us of this. Verse 7, it says this. It says, and then Jesus said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. In other words, they're saying, Lord, now that we've waited two days, we don't even want to go. Because remember, that's the place where they were going to stone you. And so now we feel kind of threatened, and so we don't, Lord, we don't even want to be a part of that. And then it says this in verse 9. It says, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, I think actually this probably would have been just confusing to them. Then Jesus says this in verse 11. It says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. It's like they're saying, Lord, give the man eight hours. Just let him sleep. He'll wake up and he'll be refreshed. And you can kind of insert dents here just a little bit. And so then it says, it goes on to say this, verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Imagine the weight of that comment. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then if you skip ahead a little bit, in verse 17, it says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So people are surrounding them. And then we get to a key part in the text. Verse 21, a question gets posed. Lord, the statement. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you would have showed up, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you wouldn't have dilly-dallied for two days, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, you know what's interesting is this is the same question that if you're suffering, you've asked this question, Lord, if you would only have. God, why didn't you? God, come on, Lord. Lord, if only you would have stepped in. Lord... She's asking this question. Lord, where were you? Because you were able. Lorinda Cantoya is on our, our ministry team. And um, I asked her to come out and to do some sharing with us this morning. And so, yeah, I want to invite Lorinda out. Um, Lorinda is the person that keeps my life in order around here. It's beautiful. So thankful for her. She does a fantastic job. And, and um, a couple months ago, Lorinda started a blog. And um, and on it, uh, she's told her story. And Lorinda's experienced some, she's gone through some trials and experienced some pain of her own. And one of the things that is beginning to happen is just, you know, how this works. She's sharing her story and what God's teaching her, and God's now using it to teach others. And I think it's been really helpful. So, um, Lorinda, thanks for being willing to share a little bit. Yeah, um, Let's start this way. Um, tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Well, it's most, a lot of you have heard my story before, and it's certainly not the saddest story out there, but I'm finding through the blog that what I experience in my relationship with God is very real to a lot of hurting people. Um, so I was married for 20 years to my high school sweetheart, and we had two sons, and when we moved here to Omaha, we, I found myself in, in the middle of a divorce, which right there, that'll unsettle anybody's foundation, it was as they always are, uh, really traumatic. But um, he quickly remarried and he'd lost his job with Gallup, had a great job. And mm. about a year into that uh, new relationship, mm. she filed for divorce and it was just more than he could take. And um, a week before Christmas, he shot and killed himself. Mm. Our sons at the time were um, 17 and 13. I had just begun a new relationship with Chuck, who I ended up marrying, but. Mm with all the confusion, I kind of shoved him out the door, and mm. um, my youngest child uh, got into some trouble, and my oldest child was not grieving at all. He wasn't even shedding a tear. Mm. I had uh, still a full-time job to hang on to, and mm. the financial ramifications of something like that turns everything upside down. I had to move, mm. and um, and I had to deal with my own weird kind of sort of grief, mm. and so it was just all a mess. And uh, I call it the apex of my grief.
0: Yeah. In the midst of that, you asked some pretty important questions. And like Martha, you had your own questions. God, where are you? Tell us a little bit about the questions that were coming to your heart and your mind.
1: Yeah. Like Martha, I, I was uh, very confused. And one of the things that was so hard was coming to church. That was sometimes the hardest place to be because I hear about how magnificent and wonderful and powerful he is. And we were singing praise, praise songs to him, you know, it is well with my soul, but mm. it was not well with my soul. And sometimes this was just the hardest place to be. And I started to ask questions even about whether he existed, which is really shocking because I grew up in a Christian home. I became a believer at a very young age. And um, so those questions were very unsettling. And, um, but I kind, of, I kind of grounded myself with looking around. I could see yeah. creation and babies mm-hmm. being born. And, and I could see God working in other people's lives. I just couldn't mm-hmm. see him in my own. Yeah. So I kept asking questions like, where are you? And why can't I find you? And why am I still hurting so bad? And mm-hmm. why won't you take the pain away? And um, so I switched my question from, mm-hmm where are you? To why can't I find him? And that's kind of when it hit me that all of the darkness and the sadness of grief and uh, worry and uh, pain and questions and confusion, it was so dark that it was blocking the goodness of God. And so I write this from my blog. That was it. That was what was blocking me from seeing and feeling God and it didn't seem like there was anything I could do to turn despair's volume down. Life had come down hard and blocked out the beauty of God in my life. My noisy broken heart was passing before the shine of God and had formed a perfect eclipse. Satan was using my noisy broken heart to make me think that God wasn't there that he'd abandoned me for some reason, hmm. and that God's love was there for everyone else, just not for me.
0: I don't know, when you felt like you couldn't find him. Where did that lead you? Where did that take you?
1: Yeah, it was um, a little scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I determined that it wasn't God, and it was my noisy, broken heart, and boy, was it loud. Um, so I write this, but I knew he was there probably looking for me as much as I was looking for him. I was very determined to hold on to that, no matter how bad I felt. Hmm. Not because my faith muscles were so strong. In fact, the exact opposite. I was a mess. I was falling apart. I was weak and wobbly. I looked down on the roulette wheel of things to believe in, and Hmm. I didn't see any other viable option. So I put all my money down on it. I was banking on it being truth. Hmm. But the way I felt was... Well, I felt crappy. Can, can I say crappy? Yeah. <laughs> you can even go further with this crowd. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <The> second service. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What, you can. I, I can. not Okay. All right. Yeah. Glad yeah. we cleared That's that right. up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the way I felt, right. as bad as I felt, the yeah. way I felt wasn't truth.
0: Right. So tell me then, you talk about the noise, and I love how you state that. You know, I think people can relate to that. How did you ultimately get around that?
1: Yeah. I I had to figure out a way to get around this eclipse. I had to get out from underneath that darkness, and I really, really needed to see him again. Mm. I knew that if I didn't make it, my kids wouldn't make it. So I was very determined, and I decided that every day I would make a list of stuff where I could see God's hand. Mm. And no matter how small or trivial, whether it was in my life or someone else's life, and for a while, I look back on my journals, and the list is really pathetic and small and kind of pitiful. And, um, but this was the only way I could see him and feel him at the time. Mm. Um, in fact, I think if I look back in my journals, you can see, I can see that I even stopped journaling my prayers. And all it is is this list, just these mm. random, tiny lists. And things were on there like, I got to bed early tonight or... Bought my kids Burger King today, or, you know, I had gas money. I think I even put on there um, the dollar store, (laughs) which is funny. Who puts the dollar store on a place where you can see God's hand? But (laughs) So this is what I write from um, my blog. That crazy list each night was just enough, barely enough, but enough. Yes, he was there. I could see him. He was in these obscure treasures of my mundane day-to-day stuff, and suddenly the mundane became the extraordinary. Mm. Slowly, the eclipse of my noisy, broken heart passed from the son of my God, S-U-N. His brightness, his warmth, his power to bring life. Slowly, the eclipse passed by. When God got eclipsed by my noisy, broken heart, suddenly I was desperate to see him, desperate to find him and frantic to catch even a glimpse of him out from beneath the darkness of my sad and messy soul. And the little peekaboos of God were enough to make me write it down on a list at the end of the day. I started taking mental notes throughout the day to add to the list at night, because even though they were small things, sort of dumb things, they were drops of ice-cold water on a cracked and parched life, and I wanted more. Hmm. My list became longer, I started using exclamation marks and even a few happy faces. My situation didn't change. Hmm. Everything that had caused the despair was still there. In fact, I had another four to five more years that were really, really tough. But eventually, I felt loved enough from all those random little things on the list each night that the noise got quieter and the brightness got brighter. And there he was, emerging through the darkness. He'd been there all along, unchanged, unmoved, solid and warm. I found him, and he'll never, ever look the same.
0: Awesome. I to thank you for helping us see, I think, in the midst of suffering, um, an example of someone who had the courage to persevere and who received the grace of God to see him. And um, knowing your boys and um, their admiration, I know, and their pride in you and your strength and but it's, it's God's. And, um, I thank you for helping us see that. So yeah, yeah let's show our appreciation. Thank you. God. Let's jump into this interaction one more time. Okay. Let's finish this, uh, this dialogue between Jesus and Martha now, um, Verse 23 is an important verse. It says this. It says that Jesus said to her, <clears throat> after, you know, she's asked this question, the same question the learner's asking. Jesus uh, said to her, he responds, your brother will rise again. And Martha, though, she answered, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In, in other words, but God, I want him here. God, I know, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day, but, but I want him right here. And then Jesus says this in verse 25. Very important. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is the thing that strikes me most, is that Jesus wanted Martha to see him. Martha's attention was on eternity. Martha was thinking, yes, I know that Lazarus, I know that he's going to rise again at the end. I I realize that. But I want him back right now but in the midst of that in the midst of her pain Jesus was saying to her no I want you to see me right here in a very real way Martha what you need more than Lazarus being alive is you need me and I am the resurrection and I am the life you know, I want you to look up. I just wanted you to be able to try to picture this a little bit this morning. So look up at the rafters here. You see this blue rope? It's been casting a shadow on the screens. It's been driving you crazy all morning, right? But look clear over to the right hand, or to the south end of the, the auditorium here. You see that red kind of ribbon that's strung there? Yeah, thank you. Um, I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think of that, that red ribbon as this. Think of this as your life. Think of this as Martha's life. And so you've got all of creation, if you go clear to the end of that rope, you've got creation, and then you've got history right up to the point of your life, and then from there you've got all of eternity. Now here's the thing that I, I want you to see, I want you to know this, when Jesus was talking to Martha, what he was saying was this, Martha, you're thinking about from the rope all the way into eternity, and blow that rope straight through that wall, and it keeps going as far as you can imagine it, that's eternity. That's eternity. But Jesus was saying to Martha, Martha, I want you to know that you need me right now. It's one thing to talk about the future, but I want you to know I am the resurrection in the life. More than Lazarus coming from the grave, more than you getting out of your suffering, Jesus would say to you today, you need to know that you need me. You need me more than anything. You need me more than a solution to your problem. And I love this. It wasn't as though Jesus ever would minimize the the struggle that they were going through. We'll see that here in a minute. But what I love that we also see then, kind of two things here. One, Jesus is in the midst of the red. He's in the midst of your life. But the other thing is this. I love this in the scriptures. When you're going through suffering, we often see that it points us to something. It points us to something even greater. The Apostle Paul said this, and this only happens because of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. He's saying the things that we experience right here in our lives, the suffering that we experience right here, right now, real stuff that you think and feel. He's saying that those sufferings, they're not at all going to compare with this future glory from that point of the rope all the way. As far as you can see, the Apostle Paul, he went on to say this then. He said, don't lose heart. And he suffered. But he was saying, don't you lose heart in the midst of your suffering. You, you persevere, you enjoy, you take refuge in the presence of God. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, what are we doing? We're being renewed day by day. This is a reason why I'm a Christian. I have a choice just like all of you. But this is a reason why I choose Christianity. He says, I'm being renewed day by day, our troubles, he says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our troubles, the things that you experience in your red, however many years you get, they're achieving for us in Christ. You have an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So think about that. You have a future from the end of that from the end of that ribbon, the edge of that ribbon, all the way into eternity, that far a hope, that far outweighs every single trial that you will face. Now, you could look at the, this way, though. You could look at this little analogy, and you could say, well, is Jesus then kind of looking at my life, and he's saying, hey, life is short in, in, in view of all of eternity, and so Suck it up because life is short. It's really not that big a deal. You're going to suffer for a while, but look, all of eternity. That would be rude and wrong and completely inaccurate. Look with me. You cannot miss this. Look with me at verse 32. Notice how Jesus responds in the midst today, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your cancer, in the midst of your loss. In the midst of your disability. Verse 32, it says this. It says, when, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, so Martha's come. Martha's talked to Jesus. She's laid out the big question. Now it's Mary's turn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, sound familiar? If you had been there, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, it says that he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. He was deeply moved. He was moved by the fact that just like you, these people that he loved were experiencing the ramifications, the ripple of Genesis 3 and the sin pattern that it it began. And it grieved the heart of God. Could he have snapped his fingers and made it all better? Sure he could have, but I think it's actually harder for God to enter into our suffering. Notice then what happened next. It says this. Jesus says, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. It's the shortest book, shortest verse in the Bible, but I think it's one of the most powerful and it gives us this window. Again, I pray this is what you leave with a window into the heart of God. When you look at the suffering in your life, how does he respond? What does your God think? What does he feel? It says that he wept, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him. In other words, see how, how Jesus was, he was moved. If you look at the real, kind of the, the, the language behind those words, it's almost as though Jesus was moved to the point of anger, Like he was so frustrated to watch these people that he loved experiencing the ramifications of sin and death and everything else that this broken world presents to you and I. And what did Jesus do in that moment? He wept. He entered in. And know this, God is not absent from your red. He's not absent. Some of you, I know the suffering that you go through. It breaks my heart. It breaks others' hearts. I hope you're here today. I hope you're just renewed a little bit today. Your problems aren't solved, are they? No. But I hope you're able to go, my God cares for me. My God enters in at the heart level. He loved me so much that he entered the deepest level of suffering for humankind. I mean, think of this. Jesus stepped into our sin. He entered in to the degree to which he suffered. He died. He died. Why? So that after we get through the red, and while we're in the red, we can experience his love and his grace and his presence. I love this. You fast forward, then in your Bibles, you go to Revelation chapter 21. We get this picture. This is what God says it will be like one day. So this is what it will be like from the edge of the red all the way to the end of the rope into eternity forever and ever. It says this. Verse 2, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. So think about this. God is going to recreate, God is going to make new this earth, this earth that we live on. Read that in your Bible. It's there. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And he will wipe away, hang on a second, he will wipe away. Not an angel, not an angel on a big assignment, not the disciples, no, he, Jesus Christ will wipe away your tears. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the old order of things has passed away. Won't this be amazing? Think about that. In Christ, that's all of eternity. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. My hope for you today is two things. I hope that you leave today and you go, I, I realize or I'm reminded, God, you're with me in the midst of my life. God, when I suffer and when those suffer around me, they're feeling the effects of sin, and I'm a sinner. And so that, that, that sin, every time I see it, it just reminds me of my need for God. That's the right response. But God, I realize today, God, you care. You are not absent. You are present. And you don't just snap your fingers and cure it. Instead, I think you even do something greater. You enter into it. Your presence is with me. You weep with me. And then I hope you hear this loud and clear, and I hope it brings you hope. All into eternity, God will make things new. He will change things. It will be different. So let's pray together and let's say, God, as we deal with suffering, God, might we know who you are and might we trust that? So yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that we can have a picture, Lord, this morning that, Lord, not only will there be a day when things are not the way that they currently are, and God, we long for that day as we should. But God, we thank you, Lord, this morning that you enter in. God, I pray for the person that comes here today and they've been asking hard questions of you and they've wondered, God, why didn't you come? God, did you see it? God, why didn't you come a second earlier? It wouldn't have happened. God, I pray that this morning that they sense the arm of you on them, your peace and your grace and your comfort. Church, we're going to worship now. and. I just want to encourage you as we do, as we stand and sing here. Um, I just want to encourage you. Would you do business with God? Would you just go to God if you if God's nudging you this morning just to say, "Okay, God, I trust you again. God, I won't abandon you. God, I'm reminded you are with me. God, I, I'm reminded you you are real." Um, and then I just want to say to you, don't suffer, don't suffer alone. Right? That's what the church is for. I mean, it's community. And, um, and even this morning, if you want to be prayed for, as always, love to pray for you, if, if that would be a blessing to you this morning. So let's stand together now, and um, yeah, let's worship.